0: welcome to church everyone we're glad you guys are here you guys feel free to grab a seat wherever you guys are assigned if you're looking for lyric sheets you can find the physical ones as a copy over there or you can look online at civalhambra.com forward slash sunday once again civalhambra.com forward slash sunday you guys are allowed to be on your phones today during worship Um, but why don't you guys as you find your seats uh, stand with us and let's sing to our great and mighty king
1: has rescued us. Your love has rescued us. The cross delivered all our hearts from fear. Our hope is here. You came to make a way. Jesus, you came to raise the dead to life. Our song will rise. Oh great and a mighty king do we have to bring? What do we have to bring? This is our offering, our hearts before the risen Lord. All power in your name, Jesus, the one who says, be lifted I saw. song. O great and mighty King, you reign in majesty, before your throne we sing, holy, holy. O great and mighty King, for all eternity. shout unending praise forever hallelujah forever hallelujah
0: Again, if you are a in, you can find our lyrics online at civalhambracom forward slash sunday.
2: slain holy holy is he sing a new song to him who sits on heaven's mercy seat. Worthy, is the lamb. worthy is the Lamb who was slain It's on heaven's mercy seat. Holy, holy, holy Is the Lord God Almighty Who was and is and is to come With all creation I sing Praise to the King of kings You are my everything and I will adore to come.
0: In our hearts and our lives. But the word we remember and the phrase that echoes in our hearts would be that you are worthy above all other names. We thank you for this time. In your name we pray. Amen. You guys can have a seat. We're going to welcome up Jeremy for some announcements.
3: Thanks, Victor. Well, good morning, everybody. Um, Welcome everybody that's here or that's uh, joining us online. We're really glad that you're spending your Sunday morning with us. Uh, Also, I want to just give a special welcome to all of our college students that are back in town and have trucked across uh, different parts of the country and world to get back here to start up college. So we're excited you're here with us. Um, My name is Jeremy and I help with the First Impressions team here at Church in the Valley. And I want to let you know about just a few things uh, for this morning as we go through our service. Uh, There are some physical copies of lyrics to our songs and a listening guide and connection cards uh, over at the table where you got welcomed. And you're welcome to grab those and a pen and stuff if you'd like to take physical notes on that. Um, If you'd like to follow along uh, with any of those digitally, we also have that online at civalhambra.com forward slash Sunday. So you can find all the stuff there as well. And, and we'd appreciate uh, as, as for you guys to fill out a connection card each week just to let us know um, more information about you as much as you like to share, whether it's an updated address or prayer request or things you like to get uh, involved in. So feel free to fill one of those out uh, before the end of the service. And we won't be having our offering baskets coming by, um, again, just as usual. And so we're going to have those over there also on the same table where you can get uh, connection cards and guest reach tables. So if you have a physical... Uh, offering you like to um, give today, you can go ahead and just put it in that basket on your way out. Um, and if you're a guest with us, also on on those same tables, So those tables are very important, guys. I mean, you're going to notice everything goes over to those tables. But on the table right next to it, there are some books called How Good is Good Enough. Um, and those are free for you. We'd love for you to take a copy of that. Um, I think it would be a helpful book as you're kind of investigating or learning more about um, what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And so... Uh, I want to pray for us, and then we'll continue with our service and invite Adam to come up and share. Father, thank you so much uh, for <clears throat> the space that you've provided out here. Uh, God, we don't take that lightly. Um, and we also uh, just pray for all the <clears throat> churches that um, that don't have a physical spot to meet it right now that are having extra things to navigate. Would you really um, help those people to really uh, press into you and to one another as they're trying to connect uh, from afar. And uh, we really do pray that you would continue to uh, end uh, the current uh, pandemic and things that are going on around the world. Father, would you really unify um, your body and help us to really be your your hands and feet as we go about helping people um, that are really struggling with a lot of things just in normal life, and then on top of that, uh, just with what's going on in our world right now. And so thank you for this time. I pray that you would really uh, open our minds to understand the scriptures this morning and to really put it into practice in our life and that we would leave here more encouraged to, to walk with you and help other people do that as well. In Jesus' name, amen.
4: Thank you, Jeremy. Good morning, everyone. Let me just add my word of welcome. Uh, it's good to see you all. And if you've been here, but you've been gone over the summer, my name's Adam Groza, and I've had the privilege of... Um, bringing God's word uh, over the past few months. And uh, it's just an honor to do that. And so if I've not met you and you were here before the break, uh, welcome back and hopefully I'll get a chance to meet you in person. Uh, To explain, we've been going through a series called Summer in the Psalms. And we've not been doing every Psalm, but we are doing sort of select Psalms from the five book of the Psalms. Uh, So today we're looking at Psalm 90. So if you want to open up your Bible to Psalm 90. We will be looking at um, what I've titled uh, the uh, the oldest psalm. It is the oldest psalm in the book of Psalms. And the message this morning sort of uh, focuses on what Moses, the author, is teaching us. And so hopefully you've had a chance to maybe look at that this week. If you didn't, that's okay. We're going to go through it together. And I think you are in for a real blessing in God's word this morning because I had such a great time studying this psalm and preparing for this message. I hope that that um, comes across. So uh, Psalm 90, let me read it for us and then uh, we'll pray and and get into God's word. Psalm 90, a prayer of Moses, the man of God. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations before the mountains were brought forth or ever, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You return man to dust, and you say, return, O children of man, for a thousand years in your sight, are but as yesterday when it is past, or as a watch in the night. You sweep, you sweep them away as with a flood, they are like a dream, like grass that is renewed in the morning." In the morning it flourishes and is renewed, in the evening it fades and withers. For we are brought to an end by your anger, by your wrath we are dismayed. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins, in the light of your presence. For all our days pass away under your wrath, we bring our years to an end like a sigh. The years of our life are seventy, or even by reason of strength, eighty. Yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone and we fly away. Who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? So teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Return, O Lord, how long have pity on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us and as many years as we have seen evil. Let your work be shown to your servants and your glorious power to their children. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. Let's pray. Father, this morning I pray that you would impart through this ancient psalm, the truth about worship, the truth about your glory, so that your church here this morning gathered in these hard times would be strengthened to worship and live lives of joyful obedience. God, I not only pray this for Church in the Valley Alhambra, but for the churches here in the Los Angeles area and in Southern California. I pray, God, that you would strengthen our brothers and sisters to live their lives fully for Christ, And God, we think of Christians around the world. We think of Christians this morning in the Middle East. Lord, would you strengthen them in parts of the world where they don't enjoy the freedoms that we have? Lord, would you just give them courage to stand for Christ? Lord, I pray that the gospel would go forward, both here and around the world in a new way and in a fresh way so that people would come to know Jesus and receive eternal life. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, Psalm 90, if you notice at the very beginning, it says a prayer of Moses. And it says above that, book four. Maybe your Bible says that, book four. So Psalm 90 is the first psalm in book four of the Psalms. And the Psalms, the book that we call Psalms in the Bible, has five books. And this is the first psalm of the fourth book. And one of the things that makes book four of the Psalms unique Is that it's really focused on worship. Um, If you read some commentaries, they'll say these are liturgical psalms. And maybe you come from a Christian background where that word liturgy is familiar to you. Or maybe it's totally foreign to you. But basically, liturgy has to do with public worship. Liturgy has to do with what we do as God's people when we gather to worship. And so when we say that this is a liturgical psalm, what we mean is that this psalm is intended to promote worship among God's people. And this is really important because you are created to worship. Your purpose in life is to worship. And so the question for us is what motivates worship? What motivates worship? I mean, motivation is an important thing. I don't know if you like to exercise, but maybe what motivates you to exercise is like a goal. Maybe it's a, you're training for some kind of like a triathlon or a 5K or 10K or a, a marathon even. You can get one of those stickers and put it on the back of your car. Or maybe you have like a workout playlist that motivates you and you get up and you're like, I don't feel like running. But then you turn on that like running playlist and all of a sudden you're like jazzed because the music is really sort of pumping you up. I don't know what motivates you, but all of you draw motivation from somewhere for the things you do. Well, where do we as Christians get motivation for worship? And, and, and oftentimes we, we look in the wrong places for this. We look in, you know, if our circumstances change, then I'll worship. If, if life gets better, if I get this job, we, we sort of bargain with God, with our worship. And this psalm confronts that sinful tendency and shows us how we truly get motivation motivation for worship is found in God. And so this is like a really important thing for you to grasp, that your life of worship, I don't mean just worship singing on Sunday morning, I mean waking up and knowing that God is with you and living your life for God and really being joyfully obedient unto the Lord on a daily basis. That's worship. That is motivated by you knowing God. And also, it, it has to do with our humility before God. So the more we know about God, the greater we think of God. And by comparison, the less we think of ourselves. And I don't mean that we beat up ourselves and, you know, we, we just think down on ourselves. I mean that we just think less of ourselves. We think of others more. We think of God more. And so worship is motivated by humility as we grow in our knowledge of God. That's the big idea of this passage. Worship is motivated when our our minds are expanded in our view of God, and we think of God more, and we think less of ourselves. And so we see that Moses writes this psalm, and this is why I've titled it an ancient psalm. And think about this for a moment. Moses lives about 1,500 years before Christ, David lives about a thousand years before Christ. So this is the oldest psalm in all of the psalms. And it's important. It's, if you study church history, you're gonna find a lot of interesting things related to this psalm. Now, what does that mean? It means that God's people have been motivated to worship by this psalm. It's really kind of a prayer song, this psalm that we're reading this morning. This has motivated God's people to worship for thousands of years. In 1708, Isaac Watts wrote a song. You might have heard of it. It's a hymn called, Our God, Our Help in Ages Past. Our God, Our Help in Ages Past. Our hope in years to come. You might know that hymn. That hymn is based on this psalm. This psalm. And so you might be thinking, well, what does that have to do with me? Moses writes it 1,500 years before Christ. This guy Isaac Watts writes this great hymn about this Psalm in 1708. But what does that have to do with me? And here's what it has to do with you. Your ability to hope in God. Whatever you're going through, your ability to hope in God and trust in God and build your life on God depends upon you knowing what this psalm teaches. And it is this, that God is an unchanging, faithful, eternal foundation upon which you can build your life, upon which you can put your hopes and your dreams upon which you can build friendships, and relationships, and a marriage, and family. God is a foundation upon which life is not safe, but secure. So it's important for you that you understand your ability to hope, and your ability to worship, is related to the humility which comes from knowing that God is an eternal, unchanging God. so the way, I've, the way I've approached this psalm is, it is a prayer. Moses is praying. You see that right there at the beginning of Psalm 90. It is a prayer of Moses, the man of God. And so I want to do two things. Number one, I want to look at what Moses prays. And then number two, I want to look at why Moses prays. What does he pray? That is, what is the content of his prayer? And then second, why does he pray? What is the foundation of his prayer? And this is also important. Because as Christians, whether you are a Christian or whether you're interested in becoming a Christian, prayer is really foundational because prayer is our communication to God as he speaks to us through his word and as he leads us by his spirit. When we pray, we are communicating to God. It's very important. And this psalm helps to teach us how to do that. So what does Moses pray? First of all, he prays for wisdom. Look at verse 12. We're going to sort of walk through this. Verse 12, teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. And so Moses is asking for wisdom. And what is wisdom? You hear that word. People, you know, sort of a little old-fashioned. People don't say she's wise much anymore. She's wise much. But, But wisdom is something we all know intuitively is good. We want to get wisdom, but what is it? And wisdom is knowing how to live in order to glorify God. That's wisdom. Knowing how to live in order to glorify God. In order to be wise, Moses says, you need to be able to number your days. That's interesting. Moses prays, God, I need wisdom. And in order to be wise, in order to have wisdom, I need to number my days. Which, which really just, Moses is saying, remind me, God, that my life is short. Remind me that my life is short. Which is interesting because we tend to want to forget that life is short. But Moses says, if you want to be wise, you need, to, you need God to remind you that life is short. Short. Now, Jonathan Edwards, uh, sort of 18th century American theologian. Jonathan Edwards, uh, who interestingly, like, interesting fact, is the grandfather of Aaron Burr, if you're into the Hamilton musical, just an interesting historical fact. Jonathan Edwards wrote down resolutions for his life, like his goals, his spiritual goals. And his resolutions are are very interesting because he writes a lot about this idea of numbering his days. Listen to this. Let me just read a few. He says, Resolved never to lose one moment of time, but to improve it in the most profitable way. Resolved to live with all my might while I still live. Resolved, listen to this, never to do anything which I should be afraid to do if it were the last hour of my life. Think about that for a moment. Edwards is saying, I want to be resolved to live a worshipful life. So if I died doing whatever it is I'm doing, I would have no shame knowing that this is what I died doing. That'll motivate obedience. Resolved to think much on all occasions of my own dying and of the circumstances which may attend my death. Jonathan Edwards says, listen, if we want to live worshipfully, we shouldn't sort of forget about the fact that we'll die. We should think about it. And in thinking about it, we will become wise. We need to learn to live in light of the brevity of life. So how does teaching, how does God teaching us to number, or how does he do that? How does God teach us to number our days? Moses wants God to Teach him to number his days so we can get wise. How does God do that? Well, I think there's two ways. One is in the Bible. Let me give you a few verses. Psalm 39.4, you can just jot this down. Psalm 39.4, it says, "O Lord, make me know my end and what is the measure of my days. Let me know how fleeting I am. Let me know how fleeting I am. Because, because if I know that I'm fleeting, and if I know that you're eternal, I will live wisely. That's the idea. First Peter 1.24, jot this down. Quotes Isaiah 46, saying, All flesh is like grass. All flesh is like grass. The grass withers and it fades away. We live here in Southern California. There are all these hills around us that when it rains... They get real green and you'll be driving, and you think, Oh, it's beautiful around here. It's like Ireland around here. It's just green. And then a week later, less rain, more heat, and it's gone. So that that wild grass, that's what Moses is talking about. Moses is Moses isn't talking about this kind of lawn that's gonna be green all year. He's talking about this wild grass that one day it's green and the next day it's not. That's our life. It's like the grass. It's here. And then it's gone. So God teaches us to number our days through his word. If you're in the word, you're going to get the humility that comes from this. But also God uses circumstances. Now please understand, God uses circumstances to help you number your days. So when you get sick and you feel weak, God is teaching you to number your days. When you read something in the news about someone passing away, this happens like when a celebrity passes away. God is using these events to teach us, his people to number our days this week i was reminded of this fact a colleague of mine at a different seminary early 50s totally healthy goes to bed dies in his sleep shocks everybody shocked everybody well those kinds of situations are tragic but they remind us god uses them for good to remind us to number our days And this is what Moses is saying. Moses is saying that life is short. So now is the time to live fully for God. Now, today is the day to trust in God, to turn from sin, to live fully for God. And so the next time you are thinking about your mortality or you're encountering something that's making you think about your frailty, think to yourself, God is teaching me to number my days so that I will be wise in order to worship, live worshipfully. And this is really important. Here's why you need to number your days. Here's the connection between numbering your days and wisdom, right? Here's the connection. Because when we realize that our life is short, that reality humbles us, and humility is necessary for worship. Humility is necessary for worship. If you really want to worship joyfully, you need to be humble. And in order to be humble, you have to encounter the fact that God is eternal and I am temporal. If your life is short, then you're not going to put off obedience. If your life is short, you're not going to wait for like the next season of life to do what God is calling you to do. If your life is short, then don't give sin another day, not another moment. Humility Of mortality fuels worshipful living. Humility about our mortality fuels, motivates worshipful living. So Moses prays for wisdom. Number two, Moses prays for mercy. Look at verse 13 and 14. In 13 and 14, Moses prays what every child of God should pray. Moses prays for mercy, for compassion, for Grace in verse 14, the Hebrew word here is the word hesed, and the word hesed is like the Hebrew word for grace. Sometimes people think like the New Testament has grace and the Old Testament just has judgment, and that is categorically, demonstrably, objectively not true. The Bible, from beginning to end, is a message of a gospel of grace, and so Moses says, God, I need grace in light of the fact that I, my life is short. Moses knows he needs grace in order to be wise, so he asks for mercy. Look at verse 14. Moses also asked for satisfaction. Verse 14, he says, Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love. And that word satisfy literally means to be filled up. Moses is saying, God, fill me up. Fill me up Fill me up with the knowledge of your presence. Fill me up with a sense of your love and a sense of your mercy in my life. And notice what he says in verse 14. He says, fill me up or satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love. Think about that for a moment. You know what's going to fill you up? Knowing God and understanding his love for you in Christ will fill you up. The things of this world will drain you. The things of this world will empty you. And God's love, His mercy, will fill you up. This does not mean you get more of God. It doesn't mean you get more of His love. God loved you. He loved us while we were yet sinners. The moment you became a Christian, God came and dwelled in you by His Spirit. The idea here is that we, when we're filled up with God's love, we're aware of His presence, we're aware of His love. In the morning. Moses says, fill me up in the morning. And I think that's true in two senses. I mean, in the morning refers to like the time of day, right? I mean, it's wise to turn to God in the morning of your day. That's just wise. There are verses about that in the morning. But notice what it says in verse six. Look at verse six real quickly. It says, in the morning, it flourishes and is renewed. And so in this psalm, Moses speaks about mourning, not necessarily as the literal time of day, although it can apply to that, but to youth, the mourning of life. And so I think really what Moses is praying for here is that his people, God's people, would turn their youth over to God and be filled up with God in their youth. And I think this is an important point to make as I look out in this audience, in this congregation, and I see a lot of young faces. And oftentimes youth is used as people by, as an excuse not to do what God is calling them to do. People use their youth as a time to just do what I want to do. And I mean, whether you realize it or not, people just think, look, I'll start following God when I'm older, right? Do you remember the story of Jeremiah in the Bible? Jeremiah gives God this exact same excuse. God calls Jeremiah, and remember what Jeremiah says? Jeremiah says, I'm only a youth. And remember what God says to Jeremiah? God says to Jeremiah, do not say I am only a youth. Don't use your youth as an excuse to be fully satisfied in God. In fact, be fully satisfied in God. Live worshipfully in your youth, in the youth in the morning of your life. He prays for satisfaction. Verse 15, he prays for, prays for gladness. Look at verse 15. Make us glad. Make us glad. Now, now notice the, the full weight of what he says. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us and for as many years as we have seen evil. So Moses is praying that God would make him glad in light of the fact that life is filled with evil and suffering i think about this moses is born into a society where he as a hebrew is part of an enslaved group of people numbering about 2.4 million people the jews were slaves in Egypt. Moses saw the evil of slavery. And then when he leaves the evil of slavery, he goes out into the wilderness and he sees year after year of the evil of idolatry. So Moses's entire life was filled with evil and suffering and a reminder of the destruction that comes from human arrogance, which is the opposite of humility. And so what does Moses do? He prays. He says, God, in light of the fact that there is evil and suffering, God, I need you to make me glad, which is another way of saying, Moses is saying, God, teach me to rejoice. Make my heart filled with joy. And here's the beautiful thing about this. God is able to give you gladness and give you joy in the midst of evil and in the midst of affliction and in the midst of hardship. God is able to give you gladness of heart in the midst of evil and suffering and hardship and affliction. God is sovereign over the world, and he's sovereign over our hearts. And so Moses prays, make us glad. Moses prays for joy. Well, lastly, Moses prays for God's glory. Look at verses 15 and 16. Make us glad for as many of days as you've afflicted us, for as many years as we have seen evil. Look at verse 16. Let your work be shown to your servants and your glorious power to their children. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. So you caught the repetition of the word work. Work. And so Moses is praying that God's glory would be on display through his work. That's the point. In the Bible, God's work is always connected with his glory. This is why the Bible says the heavens declare the glory of the Lord. His handiwork, nature declares God's glory. A lot of people you talk to their testimony of coming to faith has something to do with hearing the gospel and being in nature. Well, why is that? Well, because the gospel is the good news of Jesus' death and resurrection for our sins, and nature just naturally humbles us. And when we think about the God who made nature, it really humbles us. So Moses says, I need to be satisfied. I need wisdom. I need mercy. And I need to, I want your glory to be perceived. Moses prays for God's glory. So that's what Moses prays. Now we want to ask, why does Moses pray this? Like, what's the foundation of his prayer? And this is where we start looking at verse 1. The foundation of his prayer. Number 1, God is unchanging. Look at verse 1. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. God is our refuge. And not just our refuge. He's a refuge for all generations. I've never gotten into my family history much, but recently I was with an an uncle who's in his late 90s, and I was asking him to tell tell me the story of how my family originally came here, and he told me the story in uh, 1917, my great-grandpa came over from Romania, he didn't have any money, so he hopped a train to Gary, Indiana, and he started working in a steel mill And they had six kids, and that's the story of the Grozes in America. But what's really interesting about that is I know this about my great-grandpa. My great-grandpa trusted in Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. That was the foundation of his life. And his son, my grandpa, that was the foundation of his life. And my father, that's the foundation of his life. And this is what Moses is saying. God is not just your refuge. He's the refuge for your children and your children's children. And for all generations. And you can get on a plane and fly anywhere in the world. And God is a refuge for anyone living there as well. He's a refuge for all people at all times and all places. Because he is unchanging. Moses prays because God is unchanging. And if you want to pray more and worship more and live humbly more, think about the fact that God is unchanging. Number two, God is eternal. This is one of my favorite verses in all of the Bible. And you'll forgive me, I memorized this in a different version, so I might slip into that version. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, Moses says, You are God. I have four children, and I think at some point, all of my children asked some version of this question. At some point, they asked a question like, where did God come from? Who gave birth to God? When was God's birthday? How old? You know, that kind of thing. And you have this conversation, and every time that question comes up, I go to Psalm 92. Before the mountains were formed, or God gave frame to the earth from everlasting to everlasting God is God. And not all religions teach that. Matter of fact, most religions have some sort of story about how God became God. They have an origin story of the earth, and then they have an origin story of God. But the Bible teaches that God has always been God. God exists necessarily. Not us, but God does. And that's so much Encouragement. God will always be there. God will always be God. God will always be loving and gracious. He will always be a firm foundation for you to build your life upon. So Moses prays because God is eternal. Number three, Moses prays because he is temporal. God is eternal and Moses knows that he's not. And remember that worship comes from Humility, and in order to be humble before God, we got to know something about God, and we've got to be honest about ourselves. And Moses starts in verse 3 by saying, You return man to dust, and say, Return, O man. So this returns to that subject of teaching us to number our days. Moses reminds us that God returns man to dust. God returns man to dust. And this is something the Bible teaches that will help you be humble and out of that humility will help you to live worshipfully the bible teaches that god is sovereign over the day of our birth and the day of our death write down 1 samuel 2:6 1 samuel 2:6 says the lord brings death and gives life the lord brings death and gives life he's ultimately sovereign over these things that's an encouragement That helps us to trust him. That helps us to build our life. He's not up in heaven powerless. God is fully and totally powerful. That should help you to trust him. Job 121, you know this. The Lord gives and takes away. And we sing that, don't we? There's that song. I forget the name of the song. But there's a worship song where we sing. He gives and takes away. And I've been in big auditoriums where people are worshiping to this. But do they really believe it? That God is sovereign over the day of our birth and our death. He gives and he takes away. And these verses, properly understood, they don't give us a fear of God or a fear of death. They help us to live fully and joyfully, humbly before a sovereign God who loves us greatly. Write down this verse, Acts 13, 36. In Acts we're we're kind of it sort of explained how this gives us hope acts 13:36 says this for david after he had served god's purposes in his own generation fell asleep david after he had fulfilled god's purposes for his generation had fell he fell asleep you see what acts tells us is that these verses about god's sovereignty over our day of our life and the day of our death These verses help us to live confidently knowing that we will live as long as God has a purpose for us to live. And like David, we will fulfill God's purposes. And like David, after we have fulfilled God's purposes, we will fall asleep. We will fall asleep. Well, why is that? Why is that encouraging? Because a lot of people have a fear of death. And these verses that God is sovereign over our life and over our death, and these verses that tell us that God has a purpose for our life, help us to live humbly and confidently. Moses prays because God is eternal, but man is temporal. Well, number four, Moses prays because man is sinful. Man is sinful. Look at verse eight. Look at verse eight. Moses says, you have set our iniquity before you, our secret sins in light of your presence. How how is this encouraging to know that our iniquity is before God? Well, have you ever had to confess something to somebody? Something you did wrong? That's hard to do, right? Have you ever had to do that? Confess something? I did something bad and I got to let you know? That is really difficult. And here's why it's difficult. It's difficult because you're telling them something they don't know. And it's difficult because you don't know how they'll respond. That's why confession is difficult. But think with me here. If God is eternal and if he already knows, if your sin is already before him, when you confess your sin to God, he's not surprised. He already knows. And number two, you don't have to worry about how he'll respond. He's already said, if you confess your sin, I will be faithful and just and forgive you because of what Christ has done on the cross. Again, God's unchanging eternal nature gives us confidence to confess when we have sinned, to go to God, not to hide our sin, but to confess our sin and to know that we will find forgiveness. Moses prays because he knows his sin and he knows the sinfulness of man. Notice it says there in verse 8, secret sins. God knows our secret sins. Our secret sins are in God's presence. They are they are known by God. And so we don't have to hesitate to confess. We don't have to hesitate to repent. We can humble ourselves and live worshipfully. Number five, Moses prays because God will judge. Look what he says in verse seven. For we are brought to an end by your anger, by your wrath, we are dismayed. And Moses here is reminding us of Genesis, and you might know this or maybe not. Moses wrote Genesis. So Moses, as an author, is reminding us of something that he taught us in Genesis 1 and 2 and 3. When God said to Adam and Eve, On the day that you eat of it, on the day that you sin, you will surely die. And the point here is that death exists because of sin. God is sovereign over the world, but the reason there is death is because we have sinned, and Moses is reminding us of that fact, and he says in verse 9, all our days pass away under your wrath. We bring our years to an end like a sigh, like a sigh, and so Moses says, listen, when we think about God's eternality, when we think about the fact that he's unchanging, when we think about the fact that he's merciful in light of the fact that we're sinful, we can live our lives joyfully before the Lord. So when you think about these things, when you think about the fact that God doesn't change, when you think about the fact that God has always been God, on the worst day of your life, God is there. He is God. He doesn't change his promises are there. This gives us confidence to go before God and to trust him and to live for him. So this psalm is teaching us that worship flows from our understanding that God is eternal and we are not. So we need to go to God through faith in Christ to find mercy and to find grace and to find the humility that we need in order to live worshipfully before God. The reality is, is that none of us know how long we have to live. But we know that while we live, we have a job to do. Our job is to worship. And if you want to grow in worship, you have to grow in your understanding of God and in your humility before God. And thinking about God's eternality and our short life will help you to do that. It will help you to worship and to live worshipfully before God. Let's pray. Father, I pray as Moses prayed, that you would teach us to number our days. God, I pray that each person here this morning would confess, as we can all confess, that our pride leads us astray. God, can we confess that you deserve to be the center of our lives? We do not. We can all confess, God, that when we have put ourselves at the center, it has had bad consequences for our lives. This morning, I pray God that you would humble us, that you would help us to think much of you, that you would help us to be mindful of the fact that before these mountains were formed, you were God and you will always be God. Father, we sang that revelation song, the picture of worship in Revelation chapter four, where all the people are gathered around the throne singing this song of worship. Father, I pray that we would wrap our lives around the throne of Christ, that we would seek him in our youth, that we would seek him in the morning, that we would put first our relationship with Jesus and live worshipfully in light of who he is and what he's done. God, I know that there are people here this morning that are going through hardships, fears, anxieties. God, I pray that they would find comfort, not in the things of this world, but in knowing you and in knowing who you are. And I pray that we would build our lives upon the foundation of Jesus Christ, the only sure foundation. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.
0: Thanks, Adam. We're going to take some time to reflect on that. Um, so I'd encourage you and invite you to reflect um, to humble yourself before our God, and recognize His greatness and our littleness, and consider how that changes the way we live and changes the way we worship. So I invite you to pray, to fill out your connection cards if you still haven't done that. Let us know about your next steps. We're going to spend some time doing that real quick. We sing with all creation with our voices and with our lives that you would be our everything that we would adore you and we wait for the day and we look forward to the day that we see our brothers and sisters from every nation tribe and tongue standing before your throne and singing worthy is the lamb who was slain so let that be a reality in our lives let us live our lives with purpose and intention not passing by, not wasting our time. May we remember who you are and why we are here. May we worship you for the rest of our lives and the whole of our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, well, we're going to sing one more song of joyful humility, this idea that our... Worth is in our testimony the fact that Jesus has brought us from death to life, not of our own strength, not of our own power, but only by His Spirit. So, if you would stand with us and sing, I'm going to teach you guys a new song. It goes a little bit like this
1: This is my testimony from death to life, because grace rewrote my story. I'll testify by Jesus Christ the righteous. I'm justified, this is my testimony, this is my testimony, and I saw Satan fall like lightning, and I saw darkness run for cover. Still the miracle that I just can't get over, my name is registered in heaven. And I believe in signs and wonders, I have a resurrection power. Still the miracle that I just can't get over, my name is registered in heaven. My praise belongs to you forever this is, this is my testimony from death to life Cause grace rewrote own my story I'll testify by Jesus Christ the righteous I'm justified This is my testimony, this is my testimony Come together. Come together, sons and daughters, bought with blood and washed in water. Sing the praises of the Spirit, Son and Father. Our God will finish what He started. Oh, yes, our God will finish what He started. This is my testimony from death to life. Cause grace rewrote my story. I'll testify. By Jesus Christ the righteous, I'm justified. This is my testimony. This is my testimony. If I'm not dead, If I'm not dead, you're not done Greater things are still to come, oh, I believe If I'm not dead, you're not done Greater things are still to come, oh, I believe If I'm not dead, you're not done Greater things are still to come, oh, I believe if I'm not dead, you're not done Greater things are still to come Oh, I believe in This is my testimony From death to life Cause grace rewrote my story I'm testified By Jesus Christ the righteous I'm justified
0: May you be blessed this week. We'll see you again next time.